The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Well, We know today that there's so many awareness months and days and events that occur throughout the year, but especially in the fall. September, October, and November uh, are the dedicated awareness months for a total of 10 different cancer types, 10, um, and that's just for a three-month period. But there is one other awareness month being celebrated right now in November that is very near and dear to us here at the Cancer Support Community and to all who are touched by cancer, and that is National Family Caregivers Month. Uh, To illustrate what this month means, I want to read this excerpt from President Obama's proclamation in honor of Family Caregivers Month that he issued earlier this month. And it is, quote, day in and day out, selfless and loving Americans provide care and support to family members and friends in need. They are parents, spouses, children, siblings, relatives, and neighbors who uphold their unwavering commitment to ensure the lives of their loved ones shine bright with health, safety, and dignity, end quote. Uh, On today's show, we are going to focus on the important role of the caregiver, the need for awareness and the research being done to understand the caregiver's experience and to improve their lives. I'm excited to welcome three guests today to talk more about caregiving. Our first guest is the Cancer Support Community's very own Maggie Longacre. Maggie is a PhD. She is the Director of Research at the Cancer Support Community's Research and Training Institute in Philadelphia, where she helps conduct community-based studies on the cancer experience, including distress screening and treatment decision-making. Lately, Maggie has been working on validating a tool to measure distress in caregivers. Prior to joining the cancer support community, Maggie was the senior project manager at Fox Chase Cancer Center, where she focused on researching the needs of family caregivers. Maggie has a doctoral degree in health policy from the University of the Sciences in Philadelphia and a master's degree in health education from Arcadia University. Thanks for joining, Maggie. Thank you for having me. We're also happy to welcome Judith Homer to the show. Judith is currently a caregiver to her husband who is living with cancer. Judith also serves as a member of the advisory board of the Cancer Support Community's Cancer Experience Registry for Caregivers, a research initiative that collects the unique experiences of caregivers in order to inform future programs and services. Thanks for joining us, Judith. Thank you. And we are also joined today by Angie Santangelo, the Clinical Program Director at the Cancer Support Community of Central Ohio. 
Angie has a master's degree in social work with more than 21 years of experience in the field. And prior to becoming the program director at CSC Central Ohio, uh, Angie served as an emergency department social worker at Mount Carmel Health System. Welcome to the show, Angie. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. So, Maggie, let me uh, start with you. We have a lot we want to cover um, today, but, you know, let's start with the basics. Let's get some definitions down. Can you define who is a caregiver in the cancer experience? Sure. Uh, You already provided such a a great description in the introduction there, but um, in general, a a caregiver is anyone who provides physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, or even logistical support to a loved one with a chronic or life-threatening condition such as cancer. And oftentimes we hear the words informal caregiver or family caregiver, and the reason for that is because often it's the the relative and sometimes the friend of a, a patient who's uh, in need of care, uh, but it's also because that these individuals, these caregivers, are doing it generally unpaid. And um, a caregiver might be the, the primary caregiver. That means mm-hmm. the person who is really, truly primarily responsible for meeting the needs of the, the patient at the, in the home. Um, but someone might also be a secondary caregiver and, and helping supplement. So sometimes they say family caregiving team. Um, mm-hmm. So those are certain, certain distinctions to keep in mind. And then lastly, uh, caregivers um, are often the spouse of the patient or survivor and also mm-hmm. the, or the adult child. And more times than not, they're also female. Um, but we're seeing more and more men taking on the caregiving role as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Maggie, I know we zipped zipped through that list, but let's just uh, let's just go back and slow down for a minute and just sure. go through some of the primary responsibilities of a caregiver to someone with cancer. Let's break that down a little bit. What are some of the things that they're doing on a daily basis, uh, on a weekly basis, to be the caregiver of a loved one with cancer? Absolutely. They, the, the list is quite long, actually. So uh, when you think about somebody who's in that family or informal caregiving role, um, one main responsibility might be providing direct or medical-related care. So they might be helping um, if, a, if a patient's had surgery. They might be helping with wound care following that. They might be helping with managing medications, uh, mm-hmm. adherence to medications, or even the side effects, certainly of cancer, but also of treatment. Uh, they also might be providing logistical support, and that might be the transportation to and from doctor appointments, hospital um, stays, and and managing the outpatient uh, coordination or coordination with other support services. They also um, are managing many times the household, the the daily functioning of a house in terms of Mm -hmm. keeping things straightened up. They're um, also managing the finances within the home Mm -hmm. during this time, or they might be helping with if there's children in the home as well. And when we think also about the, the caregiver more and more, and I, you know, we'll, hopefully we'll have a chance to talk about this too, but they're, they're involved in the, the medical appointments. They're sitting there with the, the patient during these mm-hmm. times. And sometimes in certain contexts, such as head and neck cancer, they're, they're communicating for the patient, and mm-hmm. um, they may even be the decision maker for, uh, for treatment. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. you know, last but not least, they're, they're really providing emotional support to, to the, the patient or the survivor and, and become that communicator for those around the patient. So the family and the other family and friends who, who need the updates or need information, they, mm-hmm. the caregiver plays that central role of, of informing others. So, uh, Judith, obviously what we're learning from Maggie is that the caregiver wears many hats, um, uh, an expression that we use sometimes. Um, can you 
talk a little bit? I mean, you're in this, Judith. Can you talk a little bit about some of the roles that you play as a caregiver to your husband and, and uh, anything we missed in the, you know, in the list or anything that you would add? Yes, uh, thank you. Kim, my husband, Rick, has a rare form of thyroid cancer. Only 3 to 4% of the population has this cancer. The frustration for us is there is nothing to do in the way of treatment. No chemotherapy, no radiation, no medications to take. He does have occasional blood tests. We have to watch his numbers. Now and then he has an ultrasound of his neck, but there's nothing to do until it metastasizes. It's a little bit like waiting for the other shoe to drop. But I do have to say, no matter where you are along the cancer journey, there is work for the caregiver. Mm -hmm. Right now, the most important role I play is that of devoted partner. I go Mm -hmm. to every doctor's appointment. I learn everything I can about this rare disease. We keep our fingers crossed while we wait for blood test results, hoping his numbers haven't increased too dramatically. If they have, the next step for me is figuring out ways to talk to him and support him when the news isn't good. Mm-hmm. So, so it sounds like with your situation, Judith, maybe even a greater emotional burden because there is no particular treatment. You're not sure what the scans are going to show. You're not sure if this might uh, might progress. So do you find as well as serving in that practical role that you're really serving as a, as a great uh, emotional support? Exactly. And uh, I'd like to add something, if I may. This is my Please. husband's second primary cancer. He had a cancerous kidney removed in 2003 following <laughs> five pulmonary emboli emboli that were coming from his renal artery. He was quite sick. He almost died. So I've had a lot of experience as a caregiver. I cared for my father with throat cancer, feeding him through a tube in his stomach, and mother with colon cancer and a colostomy. Mm, mm, mm. So you've you've served this role at many uh, at many many levels. It sounds like you've, it comes from the from the heart and soul. Um, Angie, I want to bring you into the conversation here. Uh, family. Caregiver Month recognizes all people caring for a loved one with any type of a condition, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, cerebral palsy, many others. What, what is unique about caring for a loved one with cancer, um, and, and what are some of the challenges facing these caregivers? Well, I think some of the things that, that Judith just mentioned are really important, that um, cancer has, goes through many different stages, um, and the understanding of cancer and your care of cancer changes over time. And so there are many times you just don't know what's going to happen next. And that can be very scary and it can um, just, you could be in that constant state of not knowing um, because there are no guarantees. Will this, will this treatment work? What's the side effect of this treatment going to be? Um, is, are there going to be any problems with treatment? Um, and even after treatment, the caregiving doesn't end. There's always, um, well, often a fear that cancer is going to come back. Um, and whether it's a new cancer, um, you know, or reoccurrence of a former cancer. So I think that there's just a lot of uncertainty for caregivers of cancer patients. And um, that produces that, that just anxiety. Um, that is a little different than the other cancers. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Judith, we've only got a couple minutes until our first break here, but um, beyond some of the challenges that we're discussing, uh, I imagine there are also benefits for being a caregiver. Can you tell us what some of the most rewarding aspects are of being a caregiver? I would say that enhanced intimacy, a deepening of conversation, mm. uh, a willingness to talk about the hard things, the what if. You know, as we mature, if we're smart, we start to talk about end-of-life issues, but often they're perfunctory, like mm-hmm. maybe we should do a will or the important papers are in the top drawer. But when there is cancer in the house, the conversations can become more thoughtful more loving. That kind of intimacy has added immeasurably to my sense of well-being. Mm, That's a beautiful comment. Um, We're talking today about family caregiving. Uh, November is National Family Caregivers Month. Um, I think that uh, Maggie made an important point uh, earlier in the show that that these are folks who are providing services, quote-unquote, for free. We know that there are a lot of, quote-unquote, professional caregivers in the system, caregivers that we pay uh, to come into the home, caregivers in the hospital uh, system, etc. But these are the friends, the family members, the loved ones who are doing this from the heart, really uh, in many ways the unsung heroes uh, of the healthcare system who are dedicating themselves uh, to these folks who are dealing with serious illnesses like cancer. They're, they're gaining the knowledge, they're at the appointments, they're making adjustments to their schedule, they're there in the middle of the day, the middle of the night, uh, you know, to help their loved ones through um, so many difficult challenges that one can face with a serious illness uh, like cancer. This is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking about family caregiving today. We've got three terrific guests with us. We have um, a lot to cover in the show today. We're going to take a quick break here. Uh, don't go away. We'll be right back. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer care, 
the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, brought to you today in part by Bristol-Myers Squibb. I'm Kim Tebaldo, and today we're talking about caregiving in honor of National Family Caregivers Awareness Month uh, this month, November. I'm joined by three guests, Maggie Longacre, Research Director of the Cancer Support Community, Judith Homer, Caregiver, and member of the Cancer Experience Registry Caregivers National Advisory Board, and Angie Santangelo, Program Director at the Cancer Support Community of Central Ohio. In our first segment, we talked about the role of the caregiver and the benefits and challenges associated with this role. Now I want to dive deeper and talk more specifically about where and how the caregiver uh, fits into the overall cancer experience. Uh, Angie, let's let's start with you. Here at the cancer support community, we hear from many caregivers um, that they never feel prepared to take on this role. They didn't hesitate to do it, but they didn't feel prepared. How do we help caregivers adjust to this new role? That's a great question, Kim. Um, I, I think the most important thing is to um, provide the support and community um, for them. Um, and in that, in that support and community, I think one thing that they'll learn quickly is that um, you really need to um, initially choose an attitude when you're going into the role of caregiving. Um, if you look at caregiving as a sacrifice, um, it's going to feel like a sacrifice, but you can make a choice to choose to look at caregiving as, as a choice, as a gift, as a gift that you're giving to someone that you love. Um, it's also changing some of the other words and vocabulary. It's looking at um, as you um, become more active in caregiving, your, your schedule begins to change, and it's learning the difference between the things that you need versus the things that you want, learning what the have-tos are versus um, what can wait. And sometimes just those simple decisions can, um, can really make or break a person. So the difference between allowing a pile of laundry to wait to get washed um, can make a real difference um, versus having the guilt of saying that I have to have the house perfectly clean, I have to have the laundry perfectly tidy, um, allowing yourself to be able to say those are things that I want to have done, those are things that um, can wait. Um, and just so mm-hmm. choosing that attitude, um, recognizing that you have a choice, um, deciding between need and want and have um, have to versus can wait, I think can be real important to start to adjust to the new role. Do you think, Angie, that people, uh, that this role maybe helps people learn to live in the moment a little bit more or maybe to rethink those priorities? 
Absolutely. I think that living in the moment is key. Um, you're, you're forced to live in the moment. Um, mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. back to kind of one of the, what are the gifts of caregiving? I think that is a gift that comes with um, this diagnosis of cancer because we so often either live in the past or the future and not very often in the present. But when you are dealing with a diagnosis of cancer, either as a patient or a caregiver, um, living in the moment is what you have and making yeah. the most of the moment um, is, is really critical to surviving through this healthily. Yeah, yeah. And, and Judith, I, I uh, understand that... Um, You've been involved in a support group yourself, uh, you know, with other caregivers. H- how do you believe a caregiver can benefit from attending a support group or just being around other caregivers? Well, I would say the word support says it all. Mm. Look, by necessity, so much of our attention focuses on the patient. But what about our needs? Mm-hmm. What are we feeling? How are we coping? In a caregiver support group, we address all of those needs. And an, ad- uh, an added benefit is learning from others valuable tips on how to deal with, his- with issues our loved ones are having. I-, I would say that the most valuable thing I've learned is the importance of self-care. Mm-hmm. Mm, talk about that more, Judith. What do you mean when you say that? Well, you know, we need to pay attention to our needs if we're going to be useful and helpful in any other area of our lives. We encourage each other in the group to do the things for for the ladies, for example. Go get Mm -hmm. a mani-pedi. Do something Mm -hmm. for yourself. Ask a friend to sit with your loved one while you go and read a book or take in a movie. I know when my mother was so ill, we had friends come, and my husband and I were able to go out to a movie, and it was such a blessing, such a relief. That's what I mean by taking care of yourself. And what do you say to people, Judith, who say, oh, I, I can't do that. That would be selfish of me to take that time for, for myself. I mean, do you think it, does it make you a better caregiver? I mean, is there a sort of a rationale that says, look, if you do this for yourself, you're going to be the best caregiver you can be for that loved one? Oh, for sure. You know, I would say try it. Don't go to a support group just once. Go a minimum of three times. Give it a chance. And by all means, go online to the Cancer Experience Registry Caregiver and add your voice. Yeah, fantastic, because we've got to hear about really what the needs are of caregivers and and, uh, uh, so that we can uh, be creating programs to help caregivers and to meet those needs and to, you know, provide that safe haven. I remember uh, I was sitting in on a caregiver support group in, in uh, Philadelphia, and, and one woman said, you know, this is the only place where I can really talk honestly. She said, and I remember she was saying that her that her husband, who, you know, who was dealing with cancer was, was um, you know, just, she said, I think he was kind of being a pain in the neck, and she said, I, you know, he has cancer. I shouldn't be saying this, you know, and I couldn't say this to anybody else, but in this place I can be safe this is where I can be honest and I can kind of say that and nobody's going to judge me. Um, so, you know, I, I think it does create that safe haven because the, the caregiver is the one who has to get up every day. They have to keep the house moving. They have to have a smile on their face. They have to keep going. The patient can say, I'm not feeling great today. I'm going to stay in bed. I'm not going to work. But the caregiver is the one who really does have to carry on. So sometimes to have a safe haven and a place where they can really go and express their their true feelings, um, you know, even if it's saying some things that, uh, you know, in other settings might be a little uncomfortable, that it's a place where they can truly, um, 
you know, truly express themselves. And, and, you know, Maggie, I know that, you know, you come from a big cancer center. Um, and, you know, I know that there's a real shift in how caregivers are being integrated into patient care from, from a medical standpoint. Can you tell us kind of what you witnessed from that and how the, that role has, has shifted in the medical environment? Sure. I, you know, what uh, you know, I, I started to look at and I found you know, interesting is knowing that, that caregivers are so much more involved in the medical care, the doctor visits. You know, what, is, what does that communication and that interaction really look like? And um, I don't think we fully know how to integrate the caregivers actually in doctor appointments yet, um, but it is a charge or it is a call even by the Institute of Medicine to say that for patient-centered care, we need to consider the importance of accommodating family and friends who, who play a, a significant role in the patient's care, and um, it, it's not always easy uh, to to be a provider and, and talking with uh, the, the patient and the family member. Um, mm-hmm. As with any relationship, there's always strain, but um, I think our next steps are really to think through how can we engage you know, the caregiver in those contexts so that we can have the best possible care for the patient as well as the caregiver. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and Maggie, I, you know, I know that, that all of us as individuals, we have our own priorities, we have our own value system. And I, you know, I know sometimes I see uh, perhaps a family caregiver maybe being a little too forward about what they want or maybe trying to impose their own value system on the patient, which can, I think, put some pressure sometimes mm-hmm, on the mm-hmm. patient. So, so, you know, just talk about the importance of, of, of listening. As a caregiver, right. we talk about the importance of being an, an advocate rather than, you know, speaking for your loved one. Yes, and I think that's, that's very important, the way you just framed it, as being an advocate for your loved one and, and really listening to their values and preferences for, for their quality of life and their treatment decision-making and, and that the caregiver can have a, an important role in, in making sure that the patient's preferences are really heard. Um, but I think it is a, a fine line between you know, pushing your preferences onto the patient as a caregiver. So, um, you know, I think we, we, we need to continue to understand, and I think through the research that we are doing here through the cancer support community, that's really an important area that we're looking at is, is how do you make those decisions with your caregiver and, um, you know, what is your comfort level in terms of who's leading the decision-making and, and how much uh, input from others you take in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Angie, just let me go back for a minute. Um, we've just got a couple minutes until our break here. But um, beyond the primary family caregiver, let's say the spouse or the adult parent, if there are others around you, friends, family who want to get involved and, and, and help support you. What can that primary caregiver do to kind of best activate people around you in kind of a meaningful and helpful and productive way? I, I think... Creating a LISCA task is a great a great way to get others involved. Um, kind of look at things that need to be done, like driving to chemo appointments, picking up medication at the pharmacy, making meals, doing laundry, getting kids to school, all of those kind of things. Um, if a caregiver can make a list and then start dividing those out, allowing people to, um, to help in those kind of ways can be really helpful um, and um, just just letting others into the process. Um, I know many people often say, I want to help. How can I help? And um, it, it can be very hard in the moment to say, this is what I need. So mm-hmm. kind of being proactive, taking some time to plan, um, 
what's going to need to happen over the next week. And then mm-hmm. when somebody asks you, you can be prepared with, um, I need the kids to go to school on Wednesday night at 8 for a play or right. Right. Um, some, something like that. Yeah, so, being very, very specific, very directive. This is, yes. this is a, you know, this is exactly what we need. Because I know folks are looking for that. Folks want a chance mm-hmm. to get involved. They want to get a chance to support their loved ones. They're not sure how. So how can I help you to have a specific uh, specific task in mind if that, you know, works for the schedule? Then, then I think that's uh, good advice. November is National Family Caregivers Month, and we're talking about the role of the caregiver, what we're learning, how that change, is changing challenges, and also the gift uh, of being uh, of being a family caregiver to a loved one. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We have a lot more to cover on the show with our three great guests. So uh, don't go away. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities, Frankly Speaking About Cancer Series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help and many of the people in their lives want to help, but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains, sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar, to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at CancerSupportCommunity.org. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, sponsored in part today by Takeda Oncology. I'm Kim Chibaldo from the Cancer Support Community, and today we're talking about caregiving in honor of National Family Caregiver Month. I'm joined by three guests, Maggie Longacre, Research Director of the Cancer Support Community, Judith Homer, caregiver and a member of the Cancer Experience Registry Caregivers National Advisory Board, and Angie Santangelo, Program Director of the Cancer Support Community of Central Ohio. Uh, Angie, the uh, the theme this year for National Family Caregiver Month is respite care for caregivers. Can you tell us what that means? What does respite mean, and uh, you know why 
this idea of caring for the caregiver is so important. Absolutely. Respite care is a term used to describe short-term temporary relief for those who are caring um, for family members or friends um, who might otherwise need professional care. So respite is a short break from the exhausting challenges of being a caregiver. Um, And it's shown to help keep family caregivers um, healthy and to improve their sense of well-being. So respite can look like several things. Um, Respite could be um, a a professional caregiver coming into the home um, to help the patient while the family member leaves to take a break, um, like a sitter companion um, to stay with the person. Or it can be... Um, just the opposite, that um, the, the person with cancer can go to a specialized local facility and stay for a few days um, to give the caregiver um, a break and stay, stay at their own home. Um, and depending on the state, um, Medicare and Medicaid may help cover the cost of respite care. And I mention that because um, caregivers often feel guilty about needing this respite care. Um, but, but I think when you put the force behind it that the medical community is actually willing to pay for mm-hmm. respite care through Medicaid or Medicare, mm-hmm. it shows that it, it's truly an important need um, and that if there comes a time... Um, you know, that a caregiver needs that break, or sometimes it's, it can be the survivor, too, that needs the break. Um, respite care can be a really important tool um, to, to help maintain um, family relationships, family health, um, and um, just to prevent burnout during these times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, no, I, I think it's. I think what you're saying is critical, Judith. We touched on the last segment a little bit about this idea of caring for the caregiver, caring for yourself as the caregiver, um, so that you can be the best caregiver for your loved one. But I know, uh, Judith, that many caregivers are afraid to take any time for themselves. They think somehow they're being selfish or they're being indulgent, like you said, by going to get their nails done or or, uh, or taking some time to read a book or, or, or go to a movie when their you know, loved one is, is facing a serious illness. What advice do you have for our listeners, Judith, who may feel that way? They don't want to take the time away. They're feeling guilty about it, and they think that, that it's not the best choice for them. I would say don't feel guilty. It's not being selfish to pay attention to your own needs. In fact, it's vitally important to your health and well-being. I think it's it's essential to moving forward for caring for your loved one. Yeah, and and Angie, I know that um, you know. I think there's there's also the issue, uh, you know, really around somebody's immune system. It's around by resting, by taking care of yourself, by engaging in some joyful activities, by getting a break. You're keeping yourself well. You're keeping yourself healthy so that you can you know, can take care of your loved ones. So, Angie, how do you help somebody deal with that guilt and understand that, that this really is the best way to go? I think this is a great place where support groups come in. Um, having 
a um, caregiver just stay in community, whether it is um, in a support group like a cancer support community or whether it's community with your family, um, having, having that support around, having people around to regularly tell you to keep breathing, reminding you to eat and exercise regularly and stay hydrated, all of those little things um, add up to to be so much, like you said, just to keep your immune system healthy. Um, And I I think that um, also in in a support group setting, you can learn about the resources that are in your local area, um, the professional resources that are there to help, whether it may be um, home care services or housekeeping services, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in installing ramps or modifying your home if you need to or legal or financial things. And so the support group is a really great place to go and to get all of those ideas mm-hmm. from people who are a little further down the road than you. Yeah, so it's just not just about the emotional support aspect, but it really is a lot of information uh, exchange. I think that's a great point, Angie. And I, I think I, I, you know, I just also want to take a moment to emphasize with our listeners that um, you know we're talking about support groups, and certainly at the cancer support community at our 50 centers around the country, we've got support groups not just for the patients, but also for the for the caregivers, and those are separate groups. Um, but everything else that we do at the cancer support community, the educational seminars, the the, the, the exercise classes, yoga, tai chi, the the nutrition classes, the, the you know the the demonstration, the nutritionists we have coming in, that those programs are available for free to anyone impacted by cancer, not just for the patient, but for the caregiver as well. I mean, our, our services are for anyone impacted by cancer, and that certainly includes the, the you know the caregiver, uh, the, the the folks around the patient who are really helping to care for them. So I just want to emphasize for our listeners, there are a lot of services out there, certainly at our group, the Cancer Support Community, but at other places in your community where um, these resources are available, not just to the patient, um, but to the caregiver as well. Uh, Maggie, I know you've done a lot of research into issues facing caregivers, and you have um, been a critical part of, of building and launching our Cancer Experience Registry for Caregivers, a, a research initiative that really is designed to collect data on the cancer experience from the caregiver's perspective. We certainly have a registry for cancer patients. Anyone that's had a cancer diagnosis can join that registry um, and share, but now we have this new initiative around the caregiver's perspective. Can you tell us more about the initiative, how people can participate, and what we're learning? Absolutely. So, you know, we, are, we mentioned just a bit ago about the, the stress that caregivers are feeling and the impact, adverse impacts that that could have on their immune system and, and, and health down the road. And research has shown that when you express yourself and, and share your story, maybe through journaling or other routes, that it can be a, a stress reducer. And so the Cancer Experience Registry Caregivers is an opportunity for caregivers to share their experience um, and join a collective voice of caregivers to impact uh, policy to develop programs. And so a caregiver can go to uh, go online to cancerexperienceregistry.org and register. And um, through that, once they, once they register, they'll be asked to complete a survey. And the survey that we uh, have online is, is developed through experts in the field, our National Advisory Council of researchers, oncologists, um, advocacy members, and, and Judith is on it as a representative as a caregiver. And so we, we look at the, the factors that might be most important to, to, to research and study, 
um, and we ask the caregivers to express their experience by answering those questions. Um, so from that information, then we can, we can develop programs that are most specific to meet their needs. And, and also another part of the Cancer Experience Registry caregivers is to provide information back to them through our education that we developed um, already for caregivers uh, through the Cancer Experience cancer support community, and um, also through a monthly newsletter. So we try to not only gain information, but also give, give back to the caregivers. Mm, terrific. Uh, Judith, we've only got a couple minutes until our next break here, but I know you played an important role in the development of the caregiver registry. And as a, a, a caregiver, this initiative, you know, our hope is that it will help you and others in similar situations. But Judith, from your perspective, why is this type of research so important? What was your experience like in helping to develop this caregiver registry? Well, very rewarding because, you know, I was so glad to see that the attention was being focused on the caregiver. Caregivers have to speak up. Caregivers have been underrepresented. Behaviorists and researchers like those on today's panel have realized the impact of caring for someone with cancer, both mentally and physically. So I think it's through their dedication and research that caregivers' issues are being addressed. We now have a voice. I say thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic, Judith. And we were so uh, pleased to have you uh, as a part, uh, you know, as a part of this, uh, of this project. And just, just quickly, Maggie, how, mm-hmm. how is this research contributing to our understanding of the role that a caregiver plays in the cancer experience? So, so many of our findings right now are, are a bit preliminary. We're, we're, I have a goal of reaching 500 caregivers by the end of the year, so I really, uh, anyone listening in, please uh, yeah. share your voice. And, you know, what, what we are finding is, is that, the, again, involvement in the medical care context and, and what that means to them. And the interesting thing about the registry as well is it's for anyone at any caring at any point of the, the cancer trajectory. So what it will allow us to understand is how we can meet the needs of caregivers at these different time points, which is, is something that's hard to do in research because you have to follow someone so long term. Um, mm. But through the registry, we're actually able to do that. So you're saying that the caregiver, that, 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 you know, how they are a caregiver when a person is first diagnosed, when they're in active treatment, when they're finished treatment and dealing with post-treatment issues, that, that not only does that experience change for the patient, but it changes for the caregiver as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Maggie, just before we go to our break here, just remind folks where they can go if, as a caregiver, they would like to join the registry. Sure. You go to www.cancerexperienceregistry.org. Great. And whether you are a, a person with cancer, uh, a cancer survivor, the caregiver of someone with cancer, you can join this registry to make sure that your voice is heard and really contribute to help us, uh, you know, improve the care of both patients and caregivers. November is National Family Caregivers Month. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We've got more to talk about here uh, on the show. I'm Kim Tibaldo. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, 
how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you break away from cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, brought to you in part today by Genentech. I'm Kim Tebaldo, and today uh, I'm joined by three wonderful guests, Maggie Longacre, Research Director of the Cancer Support Community, Judith Homer, caregiver and a member of the Cancer Experience Registry Caregiver Advisory Board, and Angie Santangelo, Program Director of the Cancer Support Community of Central Ohio. We're closing uh, out our show today uh, on caregiving in honor of National Family Caregiver Month and in honor of all of those family caregivers who are out there giving of their time, their talent, their heart, their soul uh, to take care of, of, uh, of their loved ones. These uh, folks are often uh, the unsung heroes in our, uh, in our worlds. And um, we certainly know that with 77 million baby boomers in the United States, um, we are going to be seeing a lot more cancer diagnoses in this country and other serious illnesses as well. So I think the, the importance and the role of the family caregiver is only going to grow in, in coming years. And uh, so I think it's why the, what we're talking about today is so important, really around understanding the caregiver experience and how that experience changes uh, over time and uh, how can you support yourself as a caregiver and how can we at the cancer support community support you as well um, as a caregiver. So um, Maggie, as you know, the cancer support community has done a great deal of research on the impact social and emotional distress has um, on the patient. And again, to parallel that, has developed a tool to identify, uh, uh, you know, sources of this distress and, and, and really looking at distress in caregivers as well. Can you talk about uh, uh, this tool where we are in the 
development of trying to understand the distress of, of caregivers and really helping to provide tools and interventions to help to manage that. So our goal has been to develop a distress screening and referral program for, for caregivers, and it's been a privilege to be part of it because we've had the opportunity to meet with many caregivers to hear their stories personally and what concerns and impacts they're experiencing. So we've conducted focus groups through our affiliates and Affiliates have been wonderful in, in contributing to this because they, they hear so often about uh, the caregivers' needs. And so we have had focus groups to hear about the concerns from, from caregivers directly, feeling, you know, such as feeling guilty or feeling unappreciated came up. And we use this information to develop a screener or a, a questionnaire of how concerned are you about certain items. And um, we also, once we, we developed it, we went back to the caregivers and, and interviewed caregivers and asked them what they thought about the different items that we had. And just in short, many of the items refer to their level of concern about their own personal care, things we've heard about already today, mm-hmm, taking care mm-hmm. of yourself, going to your own doctor's appointments, your level of concern about managing caregiving tasks, um, you know, paying the bills or communicating with the healthcare provi- the patient's health care provider. Um, and then also the caregiver's level of concern we heard was about observing their loved one not doing well and experiencing maybe cognitive deficits or pain. And, and those things are things that are become stressful or straining for a, a caregiver. So all that was put together into a screening uh, tool that we are now validating across 10 of our cancer support community affiliates um, across the country, and we're asking 300 caregivers to participate and complete the, the, the questionnaire and also comparison um, questionnaires to see how well this new tool will identify distress among the caregivers. So we're, um, again, great support from our affiliates, and we have mm-hmm. over 150 caregivers already enrolled. Wow. And, and Angie, I know that you guys in Central Ohio have been involved in the validation of this distress screening tool for caregivers. And I think it's important to emphasize, Maggie and Angie, that, you know, that, that everything we do at the cancer support community is evidence-based. So folks need to know that you know, when this tool is kind of rolled out for a broader audience, that it's been through this rigor. It's been through the research channels. We've done the validation. And Angie, I know you guys on the ground there in Columbus have been a part of the validation of, uh, of this tool, this distress screening tool for caregivers. Can you just take a quick minute to talk about what the process has been like and, and, and how uh, you know, caregivers at your location have really been responding? What's been the feedback? I've had some great conversations that I would not have otherwise had um, with caregivers because of this tool. And it, the thing that stands out to me is that um, caregivers so often minimize um, that they are caregivers. Um, I've had so many people say, I'm not actively, you know, feeding this person or helping them go to the bathroom and therefore I'm not a caregiver so I don't qualify to take this screening. Mm. And that, of course, has, has allowed me to, to step back and say, here's what the definition of a caregiver is, going back mm-hmm. to the beginning of, of the definition that Maggie gave us, um, and helping people to understand that they are a caregiver through this whole process. 
The other conversation I've had is um, from caregivers who are just exhausted and feel like they don't have one more ounce that they can give and don't think that they can complete the survey. And um, again, that has brought great conversations because it's um, brought the conversation of, is it time for respite care? Have you been taking care of yourself? Um, Those kind of conversations. And so on top of the research that we're getting um, through, you know, the results of the exam, the um, tool itself, Mm -hmm. um, it's just, um, you know, delivering the tool has been a therapeutic process, which has been really excellent here in our community. So just just asking the question to begin with shows somebody that it matters. You know, what they have to Absolutely. say uh, matters. Um, Judith, we're coming quickly to the end of the show. I'm going to ask you if you have any any quick tips, any advice for those who are listening, who are caregivers, who are out there. What would you tell them? Well, I will borrow a line from the airline in- industry. Put your oxygen on first. If you don't take care of yourself first, you will not have the ability to face the challenges that lay ahead in caring for your loved one. If you don't take care of yourself first, you most certainly will experience burnout. And then what good will you be to others? Take Mm. care. Mm. I think those are... Certainly uh, good words of advice for those who are listening today, who are caregivers, who are uh, struggling out there. Um, you know, we, we uh, are, you know, our, our, uh, our vision at the cancer support community, we often use the language that no one should have to face cancer alone. And that includes the caregivers. We don't want you, you know, the folks who are listening today, if you are a caregiver, you don't have to face that role alone being a caregiver. You can get connected to, uh, to resources, to support groups, to educational programs, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction. Uh, we've got a whole host of, of programs that we offer for free. In the past year, we've offered nearly $50 million in free programming for patients and families around the country. Uh, we're doing that through our 50 affiliates. Um, we've got online support groups, bulletin boards, chat rooms. Uh, if you want to check out our website, Uh, www.cancersupportcommunity.org where you can find a list of our centers around the country um, and you can also find a host of information uh, and resources um, and then learn about what programs we have available for you. If you wanted to talk to somebody right now about some of the struggles that you're facing as a caregiver or if you need some help finding some resources in your community, um, you can pick up the phone and call our Cancer Support Community Helpline. The phone number is 888 793-9355. Again, if you're just grabbing a pen, I'll say it again. It's 888-793-9355. You can pick up the phone right now and talk to one of our counselors. You can visit us at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. I want to thank our guests, Maggie, Angie, Judith, for a wonderful conversation and for helping us to celebrate a family, uh, a family Caregiver uh, Awareness Month and uh, to extend our thanks and, uh, to all the wonderful caregivers out there. I'm Kim Tibaldo. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you.
thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.